You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're talking about Christology, which is words about Christ or the doctrine of Christ, who Jesus was and is. Uh, and so uh, somebody has joked with us that they kind of feel like every episode ends up being about Trinitarianism or Christology. And that's true because we think the issue is incredibly important for every topic we discuss. But we give special attention today to the Nicene Creed and how it shaped our view and our doctrine of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Uh, okay, here we are. We're recording. Kyle, uh, boom. Kyle, Kyle came over to my house once. Uh, did I should have told that story. Did you work out story. with JT? I did, and it was like no, it, no, 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 no. It I'm telling this story. Killed me. I don't even care what we're talking about. I'm telling this story. Okay, we'll tell it into the mic so we can hear you. <laughs> we'll start the podcast. We already started. Okay, here we go. We started 34 seconds ago, and you didn't well, even know. You guys keep giving me shade about working out. I had Kyle come over to my house once, and you were just learning to do some like weightlifting moves. One of those being a clean, starting right. with the weight in the ground, pulling it up to your shoulders. And it's supposed to be like one explosive movement that you can do a lot of weight with if you use your whole body and if it's one movement. I couldn't get the movement. You were learning how to do the movement. But he had 135 pounds on the bar, which is a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. He deadlifts it, which means he stops at his waist. And I'm like, no, 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 it's supposed to come up to your shoulders. And he literally reverse curls it <laughs> with no... <laughs> with no body movement at all, Kyle. This story has been blown away. <laughs> that is not true. There was two of us there. I okay. think the person who listened to this, or who was there, listened to this. It was a former intern, yep. and we were both like, "Wait a second! <laughs> you should not. You should not be able to do that." Yeah, yeah. You know, I, when anybody who's ever uh, spent time around me knows that I. This story is not It's just not. Kyle, it's it not reflective. Happened. I'm not making this up. Okay. Yeah. You reverse curled 135 pounds when it should have been a power clean. Then, you know, it, then there were angels on either side of the bar. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just, I'm like, if whatever the picture you have, and you, if, if some people are knowing Was your faith, hair longer at that point? Whoa. Are you talking about? Oh, is, it's thought, a Samson reference. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a balding joke. No. <laughs> I'm really like, guys, it's a real place of insecurity You're for me. Vulnerable right today, Kyle. I'm telling you. Okay, so a couple of days ago, I saw a picture of myself from like up high, and I was, I literally turned on the wife and was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, we all know." She said, "Everybody knows you have this bald spot on the back of your head," and I was like, "I think it's I adorable." Did, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. <laughs> It was like a revelation, and it was so alarming. <laughs> if you start wearing ball caps, that's going to be dumb. Have you guys seen that? This, like one of the social media things right now is like posting a picture of yours. Like, how are you aging? Like yeah. the ten years ago, yeah. I haven't, I haven't done. I think Macy might have done it. She did. Yeah. I was like, JT. It was like you know how they show pictures of people before and after the presidency. Oh man, it feels like I'm walking that. I'm not sure I'm going to make it, but she looks the same. She looks the same, radiant. Yeah. Always joyful and yeah. smiling. You've, been, you've, you've just gotten me. some gray hair. That's oh, your, man. Your, Here's the thing. Like I've, in the time that I've known you, you've gotten. 
I agree with you. Yeah, but, work, working with you. Honestly, yeah. I'm about to turn 50, and you have more gray hair than me. Wow, There's no doubt. Jen is coming out hard. <laughs> well, he does. He does, and he's gotten it all in the last three years. It, it, but here's, I, I'm not even sure that this is biologically possible. I felt like I had a ton of gray hair when I was finishing my PhD, and I felt like it went away for like a year when I got here and like took a breath of fresh air. And then we've been grinding the last few. You know, yeah. we've had a lot of work to do. It's like. Of work. I had kids in the yeah. meantime. Yep. It's like, okay, it's coming back. Yeah. It's here for good. Yeah. I'm going for that Clooney thing. Yeah. I, I'm I, only 24, though. Right. <laughs> You're not 24. I'm not 24. I'm oh. saying I'm younger than him. Yeah. yeah. Does 20. everybody know how old we are? Um, how old are you, Kyle? I'm uh, 17. For the record, nobody, Jen asked this question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm 30 years old. No, I already said I'm 50. I'll be, by the time this airs, I will be actually 50 years old. You're how old? 30. 30. I'm 33. 33. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, always the baby in the room. That's mm. been my story. Mm. The bald baby. Oh my gosh, Jen. <laughs> Your hair These does look just... like the top of my 18-month-old daughter's head. JT, <laughs> literally, we are now crossing a threshold where I am actually getting upset. Um, okay. Well, I have. I don't. I'm, I'm going to throw the hardest, most embarrassing Christology questions at you for this I think it's because episode. her hair rubs the bottom Stop of her it. crib. <laughs> Stop it now. Okay. All right. Great. Hey, I usually kick off the banter on this, and I, I'm telling you, I can bring the heat if you need me to. This was the heat tile. It's been, oh it's been brought. Okay. Um, somebody recently <laughs> told me, and it, uh, they were like, hey, listen, I feel like every episode, you and JT are really just trying to get the topic back to Trinitarianism or Christology, and my response was, Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. <laughs> so it was like, do you realize that like every topic you hit, yeah, uh, you guys are like, oh yeah, you know, this relates to the Trinity or Christology, and uh, that's true. We're doing that a lot, and so uh, we thought it would be good to have an episode today just dealing with Christology proper uh, and getting into some of the topics that are involved in Christology. Uh, and so we'll just kind of. It'd probably be good to just start with like answering the question, what is Christology? So if we say we're going to talk about Christology. When you hear that, what is it? Yeah, it can, it can be an intimidating term. It's basically the the words that the Bible gives us about Jesus. We're trying to study not so much his work. Like his work would be kind of more considered the doctrine of salvation. Right. We're talking about his person. person yeah. yeah. Who is Jesus? How does the Bible describe him? What are the categories that are important there? And really what I think what we're going to try to do in this podcast is the way I think about it in my head, I'm not sure if this is helpful, but create boundaries for what are appropriate ways to talk about Jesus because there are also inappropriate ways to talk about right. Jesus that the Bible would say that's out of bounds. Okay. Yeah. This is a legitimate question I have. Is there a reason it is called Christology and not Jesusology? Like, is there a more specific application of the doctrine? Hmm. Do you see what I, I'm getting? At? I don't know the origin of like that term as a locus of study. Like, like mm-hmm. oh, why Christology and not Jesusology or something? Other than that, Christ like, is it, the formal title most attributed to Jesus. Okay, so it's so in other words, it's not a doctrine that is speaking specifically to his messiahship. Per se, no, but it, uh, some uh, people might use it that way. Yeah, I, I think guess. some people could use it that way. I think to call it like Jesusology or the study of Jesus, you are referring specifically to his work in the uh, incarnation. In the incarnation, so in we Christology should, is giving a broader, us a broader okay. picture yeah. that's taking categories of Trinitarianism yeah. and who God is in Himself. Great, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so, Jen, what are some of the most traveled passages? 
um, when we start thinking about the doctrine of Christ. So like if we're just like, if somebody's like, Jen, talk to me about who Jesus is, who he was. What are some of the most traveled Bible passages that we end up at? So if a listener's like, okay, I want to know where to go in the Bible to follow along with this discussion. Where are you taking them? I think probably two of the most common ones that pop up are John 20, 30, and 31. That's um, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's one that you see a lot because it's this clear declaration of who he is. Right. And then probably the other, you know, greatest hits one would be Matthew 16, uh, 16 and 7. It's that famous scene where <clears throat> Peter is talking to Jesus. It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's in response to the question, who, who do you say that I am? And verse 17 says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Yeah. I think those are good passages to go you to. You got any greatest hits, yeah, where, do, where do you go if you're talking about Doctrine of Christ? Uh, Hebrews 1, Colossians yeah. 1. Hit, hit just one of those. Uh, Hebrew, yeah, I mean, I don't have the, the text in front of me. Colossians 1 is, oh, Hebrews 1 is, he is the, so God has spoken to us by the prophecy of the apostles in the last days. He's spoken to us Bye. by his son. He's the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of his glory. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, mm-hmm. the firstborn of all creation. Mm-hmm. By him, all things were created, and through him, all things exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, John 1, 1 through 18, right. mm-hmm. in the beginning was the Word, right. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and goes on and talking about Jesus as the life mm-hmm. and light of men. These, these are passages. The reason I want to give you this kind of up top and that we talk about this is that I know for a lot, uh, sometimes some of the feedback we get on episodes that deal specifically with some of the more tricky like when the pro- on the providence episode or when we've done trinitarianism stuff um when we start doing theological discussion it can sometimes feel like uh, theological discussion should always be shaped by scripture but sometimes when we're doing some of the technical work in some of these spaces we're doing it kind of in light of what the whole of scripture has said but we want to be careful and um, that we're not always just proof texting. Here's right. like our responses. And because we are sh- try to stay away from just proof texting our responses, it can sometimes feel like, wait, is this a Bi- is this in the Bible somewhere? Mm-hmm. And it is. Some of these things are seen over the course of the whole of Scripture, so you can't be like, here's the one verse where. Uh, but there are sometimes passages that are summative in nature that help kind of, uh, you've called them hot spots, yep. where it's just like, okay, this is a topic that's important and we needed to explore that topic in the Bible and here's some passages that are well-traveled mm-hmm. in exploring that topic. Well, and honestly, if you're looking for a book of the Bible that is the clearest articulation of Christology, I'm curious what you guys would go with. I would go with Hebrews. Ooh, yes. Uh, you just changed my answer. It would be Gospel of John for me. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, so I you think you have the narratival form <clears throat> and then connecting him to the Old Testament and Hebrews. I think I still might say Colossians. Yeah. There's yeah. a so Colossians one fifteen through. I think it's like twenty one twenty two. Yep. It's called the Christ Hymn, and Paul is actually appropriating a song that the Colossian church would have sung and was singing, mm-hmm. and uses it in the, his letter to them. Yeah. I guess I'm saying I, I I think Hebrews is the fullest treatment of the significance I think it's the of, fullest treatment in terms of biblical theology of who yes. Christ is. Okay. I'm not yes. sure that's doctrinally. Good, yeah, that's I, a good way of putting it. Yeah, that. I would agree with that. If, if Colossians is more of the doctrine proposition forward, Hebrews is the synthesis or mm-hmm. biblical theology, and John is maybe a synthesis. Okay, yeah. wait, say that in normal human terms. Okay, so like if Colossians is going like, here are the core ideas, like like very much statement driven. Right. He is the image of the invisible God. And it is a little bit more, uh, uh, it's not as, Colossians is certainly not as wrapped up into the whole biblical storyline or telling it as Hebrews is. Yes. So, and 
theological discussions, we there's kind of two uh, species, I guess you could say, or like categories of doing theology. There's more than this, but the two big ones are systematic and biblical theology. Mm-hmm. And biblical theology is typically trying to trace themes, archetypes, um, Genesis to Revelation. Genesis Christian, Revelation. It's kind of like looking at the whole thing and how it develops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then systematic theology is typically kind of stepping in and taking slices yeah. and building a case. It's They're trying to accomplish very much the same thing. And they can't exist without the other. No, I mean, right. We see them almost... Uh, people would get frustrated with me saying this, but there is kind of this systematic nature that, right. uh, that you even see Paul trying to do, for example, right. in Colossians and uh, in other places. So, but it's important. Well, and the writer of Hebrews doesn't even try to do some of the stuff that Paul would do. Right. right. Like there are just things that the writer of Hebrews throws out there with no explanation and doesn't go any further. Mm-hmm. Right. Melchizedek is like the great example of mm-hmm. this. He just assumes knowledge of it and mm-hmm. moves on. Whereas a more kind of systematic approach to that or something reflected in the letters would be like, here's the introduction of the idea. Now like, let me work through it right there's a we're kind of getting into some tricky waters because some people will then go back and be like well the letters aren't actually as systematic as you think they are but anyways it typically typically systematic theologians make very able use of the letters so i someone said to me recently that systematic theology was all the rage about 10 years ago 15 years ago and that now biblical theology is on the rise in people's thinking do you think that's accurate i'd be interested to hear what you have to say i feel like golly i i hope that biblical theology is flourishing but man do we still need the traditional systematic categories like in some of the back rooms of theological inquiry and like discussion and exploration there's a real crisis i mean like there's There's a real crisis of how we're even supposed to do Mm -hmm. this work of what um our methods should be it's you know, a lot of people, for most people listening, they're going to be like, what What are you talking about? But there are really important discussions oh, happening right man. now. And those things shake out. They what, the, what happens is an article gets published, professors get installed, pastors get trained, those pastors mm-hmm. go to pulpits, and, you and get then a whole they generation preach. Of teaching, so it's like, yeah. it's, I'm telling you, the issues that are being talked about right now, yeah. and we've talked about this a lot. A lot. Partic- the two of you, apparently, without me. Glad <laughs> to know that's... <laughs> it's a it, text thread. When it comes to... <laughs> We have the three amigo text thread between the three of us, and, and then Kyle them. and I have our own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the case. Um, so it's a big one? FOMO. It's FOMO. No, yeah. I, I, gosh, we're we're stepping out of Christology, but I think you can trace a lot of our problems with uh, some of the complementarianism, um, uh, or at least ways that complementarianism was communicated in the last part of the 20th century, first part of the 21st century, around the millennium, where there was a problem in the theological method, yeah. and because that problem with theological method, which is something that nobody wants to talk about. We've done a podcast about it. We want to talk about it. Um, but it informed millions and millions and millions of people because and it was popularized. so in the groundwater now yeah. that you we can't don't even, un- even know you can't where it's bubbling it. at half right. the time. And so that's something that I think that, uh, I get, again, they're kind of getting out of Christology a bit, but you cannot not be trained. Right. You should not ever think of yourself as an untrained person. If you think of yourself as an untrained person, you've actually <gasps> already been trained and you don't even know it. Yep. That's something that we should be aware of. Like right. you can't be not discipled. You've yeah, either been discipled. We're all going to seminary all the time. Yeah, you cannot not go to seminary because if you don't go yourself, you will be taken to it, and that's fine. But you should at least know where your training is coming from and where these ideas that are in your mind about God or the Bible or the world or gender, right. or sexual. I mean, you go down any list. And to come back to Christology here, yeah. 
uh, there was a time in the life of the church where its doctrine of Christ was being shaped. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was being shaped not even specifically by uh, you know, systematic treatises or big books. It was being shaped by the hymnody of the church. Yep. Uh, and so let's get into Christology. When we start to consider our doctrine of Christ, what are the sources historically that we, that we lean on? Uh, and why do these matter? I want to answer that. Can okay. I do one thing as we do that? Yep. And I want to show that, because we're going to do some historical theology mm-hmm. here in a second and talk about some creeds, but I do want to show that these, that these creeds and confessions are being birthed out of the biblical text. That's good. And so one thing that, and maybe this is just the culture I'm in, maybe the, the listeners don't, don't uh, this isn't, uh, this won't resonate, but the conversations I'm in is it feels like it's becoming more and more inappropriate to say that is a off limits way to speak about Jesus. We kind of want to say that almost anything goes like to, for me, for you to say something about Jesus or to sing something about Jesus or to pray a certain way for me to come to you and say, actually, that's not the way the Bible presents Jesus. Like we kind of have this, uh, again, this is just my experience, culture where that would feel inappropriate. Even if I have a relationship with you, it would almost feel unloving. But the Bible presents a very different picture. Uh, So let me just read a few passages, specifically talking about uh, how we talk about Jesus. So 2 Peter 2, 1 says this, false prophets are going to rise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You will, and, and sorry, they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Or 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teaching that suits their own passions and interests. Or 2 Timothy 1, 13 to 14, this is a, a kind of a positive construction. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. So over and over and over again, every single biblical author is telling us there is ground to, to play on. There are things that are in bounds and there's things that are out of bounds. So ultimately what happens after the Bible is written and the church begins answering some of these questions around who Jesus is, they develop some ways of speaking about Jesus so that we should all follow this pattern. And then they say there's ways that we cannot speak about Jesus because that's outside the pattern of what the Bible gives us. And specifically those things are things like creeds and confessions. That's mm-hmm. where we're going to go now. Things like the Nicene Creed written in 325 and then again in 381 at Constantinople or the Chalcedonian Creed written at 451. These are massively important texts for you to understand. And if you, many of our listeners, I would imagine either haven't heard of them or if they have probably haven't read them or if they've read them probably don't understand kind of the context in which they were birthed and that's okay you shouldn't feel any guilt or shame over that it doesn't mean you're not a disciple or have a wonderful relationship with the lord but growing in your understanding of why these documents were written i mean like this is for the early church this was the big shebang like this was everything and it wasn't because they were in their ivory towers kind of doing systematic theology it was because they were pastoring real people Mm -hmm. right and if you lose the doctrine of christ the doctrine of who jesus is we lose everything yeah you lose the gospel you lose the church you lose the possibility of salvation and communion with god and so this is not an academic conversation right this is a discipleship conversation that matters for every single person who's listening yeah absolutely We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com.
Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. So let's do this. I, I think a good course of action would be, I want us to, re, uh, Jen, will you read the, the Nicene Creed? Yeah. Okay. So Jen's going to read the Nicene Creed, and then um, we're not going to go through everything that the Creed says. Fine. Uh, because it's just way too much. Yep. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll do, maybe we should do a whole season one time and just I go through the Creed. just got really excited. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to do that. I'm, I'm putting, Apostles, and then Nicene, and then Chalcedon. Oh, no. Three seasons. Perfect. Yeah. Um, um, okay, but if you would read the whole creed, because I think it'd be good to read the whole creed, Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. and then we'll come up and we're going to just talk about uh, the creed as it pertains to Christology. And then we'll do Chalcedon in the same thing. Great. Sound okay. good? This is the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. 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 So uh, when we get into the Nicene Creed, there's a lot that it says, but I want us to focus in on the portion that pertains to Christology. Mm -hmm. So this begins with, in one Lord, Jesus Christ, only son of God, begotten from the father before all ages. So let's stop here. Let's go. Lord Jesus Christ, only son of God, begotten from the father. When we're talking about Christology, what does that part of this mean? what's What's it trying to get us to see? It's trying to get us to see the eternal sonship of the son that, uh, The Father is not the only person of the Godhead, but the Son shares in this eternal Godness of God. And the way in which he shares in it, and that's that last line you read, is 
begotten, yeah, so which is mean? a weird term, isn't it? Right. Like you, when you think of begotten, you think of children, like sure. kind of childbearing or right. mm-hmm. this is, this is, uh, and the Bible, that's the way the Bible uses the term very often is so-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so. And so the Bible's doing, or the, the creed and what theology is trying to do here is it's using a term and appropriating it, but it is meaning something slightly different mm-hmm. because it says that he is eternally begotten. So it is trying to say that the son is the son, which means he is distinct from the father. Right. The father and the son are not the same person. And so the, the, the way in which the son exists, the creed is telling us, is in this eternal sonship. Right. But the reason it's, and this is going to be really tough to explain and perhaps tough to understand, just to just give it some time. It took me seven years of seminary <laughs> to begin to, to get some of this. Um, so we've just said there is the father eternally and there is the son eternally. The challenge with begotten language is it usually connotes this idea of there's a time in which that person came into existence. Origin. Created. Origin. Made, we think it means created. created. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the father is uncreated and the son is somehow created. Begottenness could communicate. But the creed is going to the greatest possible length to say that's not what we mean. Right. What we actually mean is that the son was eternally son. Right. So he's eternally, his eternal sonship is the way in which he exists. So Augustine will, will pull out language from John when he's trying to explain this and say, the father gave the son life in himself. Mm-hmm. So the son doesn't have life from the father. The son has life in himself, though it is granted by the father, right. which is... Well, and that's what the creed is grasping at here of God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And then it tries to even emphasize this further of saying of the same essence or something. That might be the most important term. Mm -hmm. Substance is the father. And so, Mm -hmm. and there was much discussion about this. And there's actually the reason, part of the reason Chalcedon comes along is really to give give greater clarity and emphasis to this idea of saying substance. So the, it's important to maybe understand the historical context of this creed, the primary heresy. So we just talked about how often the Bible is taking great lengths to say there will be destructive heresies. And something I want to highlight there is heresy is destructive, mm-hmm. not just for your mind, but for your life. Right. Avoiding and combating heresy is not an issue of the intellect. It is an issue of the Christian life. It's an issue of virtue and practicality. So that's what the Nicene Creed is trying to do. The specific heresy that they're trying to combat is a a heresy called Arianism. Uh, Arius was an early church bishop, and the ideas that he was putting forward was that the son was created. Mm -hmm. Something else that's really just, uh, I think, important to think about Arius, he was reading that in his Bible. Every single heresy that the church has ever tried to combat was a heretic misreading their Bible. Heresy is not born outside of the Bible. Heresy is born from misreading the Bible. Specifically, he was looking at uh, like 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. He was looking at Proverbs chapter 8. And he was saying, okay, if Jesus is the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians, according to Paul, in Proverbs chapter 8 says that wisdom comes into being. And I'm a monotheist believing in one God. The son can't share in the same godness that the father shares or that the father has. He somehow has to be a little lower than the heavenly, Mm -hmm. a little lower than who God is. And so what he's saying is, is he is God like he's God-ish. He is God. He has this godness to him, but not in the same way as the one God who is father. It's a similar kind of thing, but not the same thing. And so actually the creed is fought over one specific letter. Uh, the, The term that you were just talking about, same essence, the 
doesn't matter what the Greek term is, but I'll tell you what it is. It's homoousios, which means same essence. Arius would have agreed with almost the entirety of this creed, except for that word. He believes that the son is homoi, with an I at the end, ousios, which means of a like substance or a like essence. So in other words, the son is like the father, but he doesn't share in the exact same essence. Yeah. And and this is um, one of the things that can get tricky here is you might be like, okay, well, where in the Bible is homo usios used? <laughs> and it's not. Um, and so one of the things that I often have to try to explain here is that the early church is saying, we believe the Bible says something true about God. And they had to appropriate logic and language that existed outside of Scripture to try to communicate what the whole Bible said. So it was essentially like saying, like, hey, there is this one truth, but to communicate that in a way that makes sense to our audience and to make sense to one another and to really cement this down so that there's clarity around this idea, they took logic and language that existed outside of Scripture and said, we think this is helpful at summing up the whole. That's right. Right? So, like, this idea of substance and essence is deeply rooted for those who are interested in uh, Aristotle's philosophy, namely uh, the work that Plato and Aristotle did on the topic of metaphysics Mm -hmm. or the study of reality. And so there is this whole discussion going on around what a thing actually is. Mm -hmm. And in the early church, they appropriate, they lift some of the concepts that were helpful in this study of metaphysics, which sounds like something that you would study at Hogwarts. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But they lift all of that because it's really good fuel for this discussion. That's right. So it's helpful because I know that if you're like, well, I guess that homoousios is just in the Greek New Testament somewhere. It's not. It's not. You're not going to find it. Yeah, I've literally never worried about that. But what I do want to know <laughs> is, like you said, if we get this wrong, there are very real implications yeah. that heresy harms. Mm-hmm. So. Give me an on-the-ground example of how messing up Christology, like let's say I'm an Arian, how does that how does that end up harming me? Yeah, I'll give you two categories. Uh, the first is Revelation. It's a podcast that we just did a few weeks ago. Yeah. If Jesus does not share in the exact same essence of the Father, he is incapable of revealing the Father. Right. He is like him, but actually the father might be a little different from him. And in what ways is he different? In what ways does he... But the Bible says that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Right. Because Arius' view is essentially like, oh, it's kind of like, this isn't Coke, it's Diet Coke. Right. (laughs) Right. It's like, yeah, that's actually a really interesting analogy. I like that a lot. And so Jesus reveals parts of who God is. He is is like the the Diet Coke, but it's really not the fullness. Mm -hmm. And so then you begin questioning, well, then what parts of Jesus... Can we trust? Can we trust? Accurately. Yeah. Or, or what or parts what we, of the Father might I not know? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really terrifying, right? But the great news is, is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Right. Uh, John chapter 14, I believe it is, Philip comes to Jesus and he says, uh, this is just astonishing to me. Hey, Jesus, we just want to ask you one thing. It's like he's asked, saying, this is going to be a really simple question. Just show us the Father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. and, and Jesus says, have I been with you for so long? Don't you understand that I and the Father are one? And so Arius is misunderstanding this oneness or the sharing of the essence that the Father and Son have. So that's Revelation. 
Second is salvation. And this is probably what's fueling the Nicene Creed primarily, is is that Jesus, in order for salvation to work, must be fully God and fully man. He must be fully man because what, this is a, a Anselm's terminology, what Jesus does not assume Jesus cannot save. So right. he has to take on the fullness of humanity mm-hmm. or else he can't save us, like a, a real human, me or you or Jen or whoever's listening, real humans. But he also must be fully God in order to exhaust the wrath of God yeah. towards sin. Yeah, to pay the price. So give me the modern day version of <clears throat> Arianism. How does Chris, how does a, how does a, a warped or a limited understanding of Christology impact the way, like, don't name names, but what would be an example of how this is taught where we go, oh, yeah, that sounds right, but it's actually not right. Well, I mean, one of the fastest growing religions in the world is Arian, Mormonism. Yeah, Mormonism. Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, Jehovah's Witness. These are, I mean, Mormonism is, again, one of the fastest growing religions in the world, and it it is Arianism. Why why does Arianism appeal to us? Why do we, why do people say I like that more well, than inaccurate? You know that's <laughs> that's a great question. Part of it I think has to do with the fact that uh, monotheism for some people uh, maybe uh, I encounter this with people that are a little bit more mathematically minded um, as I've engaged with Muslim um, neighbors. This is one of the things that's appealing to them about Jesus being not fully God but a prophet or mm-hmm. div- divine ish. Uh, is that monotheism makes more logical sense right. than Trinitarianism. Like they would say that, that the Trinitarianism is illogical. Right. And so that's one reason maybe that Arianism is appealing. Another reason that Arianism is appealing is because it uh, maybe it makes Jesus more digestible, mm-hmm. his claims more palatable to us, right? It really emphasizes his humanity. So lots of times, I'll, I'll give two examples and I'm going to go on a limb here a little bit. Any subordinationism of the son to the father could lead somebody into Arianism. Right. Now, the, the massive disclaimer. There are some theologians in evangelicalism who are not Arians. Okay, wait. Say that in English. Any subordinationism, any subordinationism of, the son of the son to the father, to the father could lead... So any sense in which the son is seen is less than. as less than the father yep. could be seen... Could be seen as Arianism. Okay. And by less than you, sometimes language is used as submissive. Submissive, subordinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is some of the language. And again, I'm card carrying complementarian. I've got it here in my wallet in case you want to see it. <laughs> uh, but some complementarians, in order to show uh, submissive relationships, have tried to root that in God and say the father is the authoritative one. The son is the submissive one. Not some. I would say the majority. That has been one of the major narratives. Yeah, it has been one of the biggest parts. Uh, and so, and again, please hear this. Without, one of the most, Augustine says, and Calvin says, one of the most important parts of doing theology is humility, humility, humility. I want to say this with us, utmost respect, charity, and humility. Uh, two theologians who've shaped my thinking in ways that I can't even untether from my thought are men like Wayne Grudem or John Piper. It, it, immensely grateful for their work. They put forward a view called the eternal functional subordination of the son, which in my opinion has some fairly significant problems in who we think we're worshiping, how we think salvation works. Uh, They are not Arians. I want to say that as loudly as I can. Fireworks are going off. They're not. But some less trained theologians who have taken on some of those ideas and done some writing and has, has created kind of an Arian Christology totally unintentionally. And that goes to show the importance and power of ideas and the importance and power of nuance. And again, knowing this history, yeah. I'll say it again. Those men are not Arians. Yeah, for sure. 
period. But well, they're worth a- reading. They're beneficial. <clears throat> they're good. Yeah. I think for the average person in the in the seats, mm-hmm. um, just to be aware of what the Aryan impulse can look like in our own hearts and and in the way that we're reading the Bible, and that is if you're if you are. Um, uniquely or or maybe um, more heavily drawn toward a reading of the text that says Jesus was a was just like me that's that's the next really important you one. know that's the Aryan impulse right. it's it's oh you know Jesus is just like me to the point that you diminish right. that Jesus is God it's like buddy Jesus yeah right and yeah. that is in here the, and that's actually yeah. everywhere yeah. it's everywhere it's kind of Jesus is my homeboy mm-hmm. right. type idea mm-hmm. uh, this this I find a lot and here's something that's really important to remember about Arius is when the Nicene Creed was written Arius's heresy was far more prevalent and popular than the Nicene Creed was. So orthodoxy was actually smaller than heresy. It wasn't the majority. Uh, and one of the reasons it became so popular was because he was a worship writer. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. Wrote songs. He wrote songs. I did not know that. Yeah, he wrote songs. You said hymnody earlier, and mm-hmm. I didn't even see it coming. And yeah. so he was, and it, he wasn't just writing songs, he was writing children's songs, he was writing mm-hmm. songs for people to worship to, and he was baking his heresy into the worship songs. And so the popularity grew, which... Just a plea here, if you listen to this, you're involved in worship ministry, or you're in, you need to be the best theologian at your church. Yeah. Because 10 times out of 10, I preach, Matt preach, and we have one of the best preachers in America at our church. Yeah. People leave, and a week from now, they probably remember what Matt talked about broadly, mm-hmm. but they will be still singing the songs that we, that we sung. Yeah. So that's why we're really intentional about yeah. wanting to sing songs. My dad says people don't leave humming the sermon. No. <laughs> but you know, the other part of this is, I mean, we've had some conversations about this, JT. I can't remember, Kyle, if you were along for this rant or not. That was the other text thread. <laughs> yeah, the other have. text thread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've all triangulated <laughs> one out of the text thread. <laughs> um, but just the way that we that we speak about him. So the whole the whole Jesus is my homeboy idea, or even you know I, the the t shirts that say uh, coffee Jesus and naps or mm-hmm. whatever it is. When we when we roll him into a list of of very just everyday things and how if we were, this is why I think it is actually good that the term is Christology mm. because, um, you know, the, the, the epistles refer to Jesus as by his title. They right. call him Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's only referred to as Jesus a handful of times. And by handful, I mean like you could count on two hands, the right. number of times that you just find Jesus in the text. And if we were to take some of those those memes that are out there, the, you know, coffee, Jesus, and naps, and if you filled in where you would say Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ the Lord, you wouldn't make that t-shirt right. because it becomes immediately evident that he transcends those categories. Right. Um, but our impulse is, Guys, I just need Jesus and tacos. Right. And, and, and we would not say that. You would never say the Lord Jesus Christ and tacos. Right. And, and so I do think it's important, too, to think about like how... Would you wear that shirt? <laughs> I don't have to. Everybody else already is. Um, no, I wear pug shirts. Okay. I think I made that clear. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I do think if we if we begin to pay attention even to the way that we're speaking of him, we can find that there, the Aryan impulse is expressing itself in our choice of language. Right. Really yeah, I mean, point. in some ways, taking the name of the uh, Lord in vain is Aryanism. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, just to go like, yeah, uh, to trivialize that which is sacred, which is, the, which is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. Well, we're not going to get to Chalcedon. We're we're, uh, <laughs> we're spending a lot of time on. We're going to do we're going to do a separate episode on Chalcedon. But let me let me let's end here. Okay, so somebody's like, okay, I need to spend more time on Christology. Okay, and you've told me that there are some helpful passages. So because what we want you to hear is 
if you're looking to spend more time thinking through the doctrine of Christ, you should first go to passages like Colossians 1, 15 through mm-hmm. 20, John 1, 1 through 18, Matthew 16, 16 through 17, John 20, 30 through 31, and Hebrews 1. But let's say that they go, they look at those passages, and they're thinking, I, I need another resource. What's a helpful resource to get to the doctrine of Christ? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I'm going to give maybe a, two layers of resources. I'm going to give one that is a bit more historical and one contemporary. Okay. I, I just don't ever want to shy away from pointing people to primary resources. So uh, Athanasius is an early church father who is mm-hmm. really, really influential in the creed that we just talked about. Uh, he he was uh, he was guarding and defending orthodoxy for us. And he, there's a book that he wrote called On the Incarnation. It has a wonderful introduction by C.S. Lewis, which the introduction itself is just the, is worth the price of the book, which tells people why it's important to read primary resources. I read that book every year during it's Advent. It's not long. It's not no, long. It's, it's about short. 90, 100 pages or something like that. And it really just, you just have to almost stop and take a break. You really do. so often. It's, it's so good. good. You really do. Uh, and then there a bit, maybe a bit more academic or certainly more exhaustive and a lot longer is a recent book by Steve Wellam. He was my professor at Southern. I did a seminar with him on Christology and he just wrote a book in the Foundations of Evangelical Theology series. It's called God the Son Incarnate. And it is, you, it's probably not the kind of book you want to read front to back. It's kind of more of a resource style book. But if you're like, okay, I want to start lifting some heavier weights, that would be a, that'd be a heavy weight. Yep. Co-sign on both those books. Great. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about a tale of two kings, 2 Samuel 1 through 3. And we'll find out that 2 Samuel has more drama in it than an episode of Jersey Shores. See you next time. (laughs) Grace and peace.